The Writer's Workroom Podcast is made for writers and other creatives. If you wish to support the podcast and help grow the community, join the Discord via the link down below. This episode has some minor technical issues, but should be looked at as a growing and learning experience for the team involved. Enjoy the episode and support the team. Welcome to the the Writer's Workroom Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey, alongside the co- our co-host, Silver, Howdy. and we have a very special guest today. We have the one, the only, the Blackster Surgeons, a.k.a. Lee McCusker. Uh, Lee, why don't you introduce yourself for the three people who listen to this who don't know who you are? <laughs> well, as you said yourself, I'm a fanfiction.net on the Black Resurgence. Um, in general, I am Lee McCusker, just, you know, average guy who somehow has built quite a big fan base writing fan fiction and original stories. Um, I've been doing it since 2016. September 2016 is when I posted my first ever fan fiction chapter, and it's it just snowballed from there. So, I says later, we're kind of somehow still going. Amazing. Yeah, well, I it's it's the craziest thing of 2016 being roughly the same time year, plus minus about a year for almost everyone we've interviewed for falling into fan fiction. There must have been something in the water or the air in 2016, 2015 timeframe. Because we've talked about it before. I believe Tombat, Combat Tombat started in 2016. Yeah. Little DB was in 2016. Greed was in 2016. I started reading fan fiction in like 2015. You started way. around the same time as well. So 2016 just seems to be a magical year. But we're not here to talk about starting dates. So we're here to talk about, if you've listened to any previous episodes of the podcast, mine and Silver's probably number one favorite fan fiction, When the Roses Bloom Again. I can't say that I've caught any of the previous shows. And Mm. honestly, I know you did mention it to me. This is sometimes I asked me if you could kind of... um, mention it on on my discord server and and whatnot i was doing a bit of promotion stuff gave you the go ahead for that genuinely i don't even these days even get time to read um i've not finished i've I've not finished a story like reading fan fiction probably for close to two years so i've got a, a huge list of things to read i just don't have time to do it i spend around about 70 to 80 hours a week in front of the computer writing Jeez. So it's um, you know, when I, when I'm not in front of the computer and I'm not writing, it's kind of my way to come away from everything. So I, I don't tend to do much reading anymore. Um, even doing finding time to record my own podcast and so on. It's kind of just because uh, everybody's different schedules and and mine just don't always kind of align. So it's yeah, not always the easiest thing in the world to do, but. I am planning on kind of picking everything back up. And, you know, there's so many things always happening kind of behind the scenes and everything. So, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely really, really glad to be here. So I've been invited on two other podcasts and I turned those ones down because it was just, um, just not for me. Mm. Uh, I know I've interacted with Bailey several times over the last couple of years at least. So I'm yeah. um, more than happy to kind of come on and, and talk to you guys and whatnot. So, yeah. 
super happy to have you yeah. here. Bailey actually introduced me to your stories, and I just fell in love with it. And I was Bailey was like, "Here's the Patreon link. Go go pay this man money." The, the, the full thing that... of that was <laughs> I had I sent you whispers because you were asking for Harry Potter fan fiction. Yeah. And you were like, I need more. And I'm like, have you read the website chapters? And you were like, yes, I need more. And I'm like, all right, here's the Patreon link, bud. <laughs> Come join the dark side. It's crazy. The whole Patreon thing. Like, I, I genuinely didn't expect it to go anywhere. Um, I started that November 2020. And I kind of figured with, because I was teaching at the time. Mm. And with the pandemic going on, um, it was still online online teaching and everything and i thought i'm gonna take a little bit of time off because it's just you know they they and eventually they closed my school down about two weeks after i decided i was going to come away from it and then it was just i thought well let's, let's just give this a go if i can get any kind of support on this that'd be great just to kind of see me through until it was the plan was to do it until the following september when i could start a different teaching post it's mm. here in england the way it works it's and um, you only really get a teaching job unless Somebody goes on a maternity leave or, or illness like throughout the year. If not, your posts start in September when the new school year starts. So the, the original plan was to do that and then go back to teaching. But by the time kind of April rolled around, I was making real money doing it. And I was thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe I could do this for a little bit longer. And then by the time June came around and I had job offers and everything on the table, I was making a lot more than what any teaching salary was going to pay me. So I kind of think oh, I've got to stick around until it kind of just dries up because eventually it will dry up. Eventually people are going to get bored of what I write and uh, I won't be able to keep doing this forever. But um, until then, I'm quite happy to kind of keep going until I'm forced to take another teaching job somewhere down the line. We're always happy to read what you write too. I mean, you're going to be sad when you stop writing. Do you know, it, it's quite strange because it was a period a few months ago Mm. And when I finished, when I was on the verge of finishing Written in the Stars, where I was just thinking, I just kind of hit a slump. It wasn't that I had writer's block or anything like mm. that. It was just that I I invest so much time into doing this. And I did the idea of things, do you know, I'm just not going to do it anymore. And I was genuinely going to nuke everything. Discord was going to go. The fan fiction website, everything on there was going to go. My own website, everything was just going to just disappear off the face of the earth like I never existed. Mm. And... Uh, it's actually my other half, my partner, who taught me this. She's like, you, you put so much effort into this and you love what you do. What is the problem? You know, why, why are you feeling this way? And I think it was just, it was like a bit of a blip of, you know, I know, you know, chance that this isn't going to last forever and whatnot. And the longer I do this, the longer I'm not, you know, cashing in for the future, like pension-wise and stuff like that and teaching or anything. Uh, kind of just figured out... And, Kind of, it's just said, you know what? You get one go at this, make the most of it, enjoy it. You can kind of pick up the pieces as and when it all fall apart. So we're still going. We're still here. Yeah. I think your situation is very unique in the fandom, fandom creation kind of outside of traditional entertainment aspect. It's very much like 10 years ago when youtubers were starting to make like actual money and like the running joke of oh that's cute little hobby when are you going to get an act a real job and now you've got people like markiplier pewdiepie who've been doing this for decades for over a decade at this point making 
good money on YouTube and maintaining a comfortable life whilst creating content. So I think, I think it's just very uncharted waters what you're doing. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm you know, kind of came along and do, and do what I'm doing sort of thing on the, on the kind of scale of things that I'm doing it. You know, there are other guys who um, do have patrons and, and, and they're and they making money on it. I don't think any of them come in remotely close to what I'm making, though. It's, you know, I look at, genuinely, I look at my income every month and, I, and it's, it's to disgrace that I get to sit and just do what I really enjoy, get to insult people on Discord and, you know, <laughs> whatnot, and just get paid as much as I do for it. It's crazy. Like, my, I won't go into numbers or anything like that, but... Uh, the sheer amount of money I've made over the last few years of doing this is is just obscene, really. It's, you know, I miss. So it's nice. It's nice. I wouldn't. And I'm very I'm very much aware that everything that I have and ability to kind of live the life that I do comes from all the people who support me. So I must be doing something right because it's still growing. Ever, I've never had a month where I've lost, you know, subscribers. I've always gained every single month, or it's or at worst it stayed at a very steady rate. I've never been worse off one month than I have from the previous. So it's I don't understand. I don't understand. I you know, insane. Paying me money, but we're we're there. We're, we're kind of we're still going. It's been almost three years we've been doing this now, and it's um. You know, it's all builds and I get into the start and it's, you know, it is very humbling. Mm -hmm. I, I'm in. I knew you had a Patreon for a little bit after I read um, uh, Honor Thy Blood. And one of the things I kicked myself for is not reading Honor Thy Blood sooner than I did because I read it 2018. So right for a little bit after it had been finished and i was like what is this story that keeps popping up when i'm scrolling through here oh it's completed okay it's half me i'll i'll give it a shot and now we're here so <laughs> <laughs> and so it i remember reading through that and then going oh this was really good or it was 20 and then i remember taking a break from that and I went back and I reread it and then stepping back had been out for a bit and um, uh, a flower for the soul. That's the one. And so I read through all of those. And then there was like six chapters of whispers of a Raven and I just devoured whispers. And then I went to the website and I read all those. And then I went, I need more. <laughs> Like, this is, I am too impatient for this. And so I remember going, all right, screw it. We're doing the Patreon. Because I've been in that, I've been in your server for almost, a for a couple months at that point. So that had to be about around the 2020 time frame. And so I joined up and I joined the Patreon and I haven't looked back. I think it's probably one of the most, because I have a few group groups, people that I support on Patreon. I think personally yours is the best value for what you get because you get an entire you get two books every year pretty much for the cost of subscribing 
Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of work that goes into these things. And I always say that I don't think people truly understand how much work in the background goes into putting these books together. Uh, there's the writing aspect of it as well, but um, especially with uh, When the Roses Bloom Again, the amount of consideration I had to have when writing that book and the kind of bringing everything together into something that works as a story with the characters, with everything else happening in the background, with World War II in the background, everything along those lines. It was because, I believe it or not, I planned when the roses bloom again in 2016 and i wrote the chapter of uh, arturus and charles when their time fighting grindelwald and then the whole kind of idea of the story came from there and i had it all planned out from i'd probably say december 2016 that story was kind of planned out and ready to go and it was just one of those that took a while to for me to think do you know what it's going to take a while to write it it's going to be a big project I'm going to kind of hold on to it for a little while. And then that's when I did Stepping Back. I did Green in the Grey. Then I did Whispers of a Raven. And then it was all, all a Flower for the Soul. Then Whispers of a Raven. And then it all kind of culminated into building up to doing When the Roses Bloom Again. And I wrote that for a year. That's what I worked on for an entire year. So there's 109 chapters. I do two chapters a week. So 52 weeks in a year. 104 chapters. You know an entire year and it was and it was an entire year of writing mm. with most of my stories i tend to be about 15 or 20 chapters ahead of what i'm publishing um with when the roses bloom again i was maybe two or three ahead at most at any one time because of the sheer amount of work that I had to go into kind of bringing that story together as it as it kind of ended up being it was it was a project Hmm. you know I, I won't curse or anything but it was a project so it was you can curse you're you can curse, curse. Yeah. i i swear <laughs> like a sailor on this you're fine no i think the way i describe it honestly it's it's like a bastard son love it but it's not quite you know it, it caused you problems mm. and that that's essentially what i came down to like i absolutely adore the story i'm so proud of it and um that i managed to pull it in, in together in the way i did I, I look back on it now and i'm just kind of thinking god i've, I've got so many other stories that are going to be about as long as that some that are going to be a lot better than that as well i already know i've got so many you know just just waiting things to kind of be be put out there and published and whatnot and yeah. i would say that when the rose again is is it a strong i like it and i'm, I'm very very proud of it but in comparison to some of the I've got out there planned, like the epic story and whatnot, like the mm. epic size and kind of universal traverses and everything, it's um being, my opinion, one of the not a, not a weak story, but one of the weaker stories. I remember finishing Whispers, and then Silver also finished Whispers, and we were in a Discord VC talking about it, and we're like, I. And Rose's had like six chapters at this point, I believe. And we had both read, we both read Whispers. We, we were fully caught up on Rose's and we were, we were talking and we we're like, I don't know how, I don't know if this is going to top Whispers. Like Whispers was so good. It was. Like <clears throat> Whispers, like if you had asked me, what's your favorite TBR story? I'd go Whispers of a Raven, um, Honor Thy Blood, Stepping Back. That was 
that was my top three. And then Roses just continuously steadily be pumped out. And then we, we, we both get caught up on it and then be like, and towards, I think the middle, I think we both had the epiphany of, Oh shit, this is better than whispers. I remember one day I just got into work. You, you updated a, uh, you uploaded a chapter on your Patreon. Bailey DMs me. Did you read it? Did you read the new chapter? Like, I just got into work. I gotta sit down to read it. Sitting there on my phone, which at the time was just really, really small, the uh, old iPhone. I'm sitting there and I'm zooming in, blind as a bat. I'm like, okay, let's see here. Oh my gosh, it's one of the best chapters. You know, and, it, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that because, um, it's the way the way that I write. I want you know, I like to tell stories that people can really engage with and really. You know, a lot of stories you find you, you read a chapter and then there's the chapter's done. You're mm. kind of not really thinking about it anymore. There's not really anything that you've taken away from that. It's kind of just you read it. It's done. You move on within two minutes of finishing the chapter. I like stories that I can write where. Of course, there's there's always the chapters in between, when mm. you're world building or um, building relationships or developing characters and stuff like that. Always those those chapters that do come along in, in a story where you're writing it, and you want to, to you want people to read it, and then that's all they can think about for a good half an hour or forty five minutes afterwards. And they're the they're the chapters that people remember, and that that's they're the things that make the, make a story memorable and make a story great. If you've got five or six or depending on the length of the story, you know, seven or eight chapters like that throughout the story, kind of, it's, um, stick with people. Mm. Uh, there's always those moments that people remember and they, you know, they come and they, they want to read that particular part of the story. And they're, they're the kind of chapters I really, really enjoy writing. And then you see the reaction to them and you get people, like get DMs and everything. Um, one, the chapter, I can't remember what chapter it was now, but there was one chapter I released in and the roses bloom again. And I I posted it, and then I was out kind of working, writing and whatnot. I tend to like not communicate with people when I'm working, mm. so I just kind of turn my phones on silent. And, and then when I got home and I checked my phone and whatnot, I had I think it's like seventy DM. Mm. You, you get those. You know, you've done a good job when you get those kind of chapters being pumped out, and you're getting that kind of reaction from people. I like to uh, go through and I'll read uh, like reviews on FFN, and I always love like someone will be like, "This chapter is slow, blah blah blah," and then the next next chapter they comment, "Oh my god, this story is the best thing ever." I take back my previous comment. This is praise the ground that you walk on, and I love doing that for any story. But I, I like I like it on like roses because there's 109 chapters, so it's like you'll see those people that are like. Chapter let's say like eighty four, they didn't they they liked it but they it wasn't to their their level and then like eighty five they're praising it. So. Yeah, and it's it's quite it's quite strange when you get that you get some people who like say it's oh this was a slow chapter and then two or three chapters later they're back on it because oh my god this was amazing and <laughs> you know it, it's quite strange how people's opinions change as they kind of go on through. The story mm. um events that happen what really throw people off yeah 
for me, it was like reading through it because I, I started doing a thing where I would let a couple you uh post a couple chapters and I would I would read up uh, just for my sake of remembering what chapters I read. Um, I just remember I was at work one day. I I work at a an escape room, so I'm able to sit on my phone all day, and uh, I just write when I'm there. But I remember I was reading a chapter, and I just I had like a vocal reaction. I was like, "What? No way!" My coworkers are looking at me like I'm crazy. They're like, oh, this, "This chapter is so good," <laughs> and they, they they know I read fan fiction, so they're like, "Okay, yeah, you do that." I'm like, "Come on, guys!" Like, like I know you guys don't read it, but like, y'all read this story. I I work in an area where I can't have my phone all day, but like there would be times where you'd like it'd be there'd be certain weeks and months where i'd be like okay he's gonna release it i'm going to be in the parking lot at work i can download it i can start reading it and then i can take my first break at 8 15 and i can i can go from 8 15 to 8 30 and then during my lunch break i can finish i can polish off the chapter it should be good it should be good on this <laughs> and i'm just like scheduling my work day around when can i get when can i get off the floor to go take a break and read continue reading of the the new chapters and there was there were some times where i had a couple there was a i had two you and um, another author were uploading not the same days but like similar pattern style no it was same days because they it were was. uploading sunday thursday yeah um so i'd have two chapters i'd have four chapters a week and it'd be it was fantastic i loved it but yeah so when writing roses um you mentioned teaching were you a history teacher or an english teacher or was it like something completely not related to that no i am a i was a history teacher so i actually have a master's degree from cambridge in history and um yeah te I, I don't get me wrong i love english and I was very torn when I when I was going to university years ago now. Um, I was very torn deciding if I wanted to do a degree or a history degree. And I ended up doing history. But I am qualified to teach English as well. I've just never taken the time to do it. Uh, kind of English has always been my thing. Like, I like to do it when I'm not at work and, you know, I can read, I can write. It doesn't become a job or anything like that. Well, now it is, you know. But um, it's, uh, yeah, history was, uh, I used to teach high school history. So I used to teach from... 11 children 11 years old all the way up to 18 before they'd kind of leave and be gone forever mm. wild um yeah so i i it's always the funny it's always funny in your stories because i'm you you cannot you we can tell your love of teaching because harry always ends up as a teacher at the end by the end and it's kind of just one of those things of it's a lee story Harry's going to be a teacher by the end, and Arcturus is going to be a grouchy son of a bitch. Like, you can guarantee that through every one of your fics. I think it just, I think with Harry's character, like how he is, and it's just, I think, you know, how you kind of paint as a character as you're going through, he's just naturally, he's just a natural teacher. Mm. You know, like, it, it's just in his personality, obviously, doing, um, like, uh, Dumbledore's Island and stuff like that in his, in his fifth year 
even if you don't even include that, just his nature, like how he is with people, and you know, he's he's just got that kind of. I, don't know, I think there's something about teachers. You can speak to somebody, you know if they're a teacher or not. I think Harry just kind of has that in spades, just as a character. So I think it just can actually start my own stories where it's just, you know, he always gets pulled back to Hogwarts in some way. You know, in, in a way, he's kind of like the anti-Voldemort. He's he's kind of, they're very similar. They end up taking different paths in life. And then, even though Voldemort tried to be a teacher, it just never happened for him that Harry would make it as that. Either that or as an aura or, you know, something, something that involves defensive magic. And it's always going to kind of, for me, it's always going to either be an aura or a hit wizard, as he was in When the Roses Womb Again. And the, even then he ended up any. And then, you know, you've, you've got just, it's just him all over, I think. I think it just kind of suits him in pretty much every aspect of, of the actual profession itself. Mm. Yeah, I very, I very much was, I was kind of surprised by the hit wizard in Roses, because if you ask 16 different Harry Potter fanfic authors, what is a hit wizard, you'll get on average, probably about eight to eight to 12 different answers about what they actually are. And I think the way you put them together and made them to what they were, but also um, in case it wasn't incredibly obvious, spoiler warning <laughs> um, for when the roses bloom again, to the point where you completely white cleared the board of all hit wizards to where Harry slash the serpent was and Fox were so, yeah. the only two surviving and then completely taking Fox out of the picture was just kind of one of those this is an elite force but all elite forces have their weaknesses In, and i think that was just super fascinating to look at that chapter was probably one of my favorites too when you eliminated yeah it, it, it was things that i really did consider when i was at the concept of what i wanted a hit wizard to be you know for, for a lot of a lot of the um piece of fan fiction i wrote i read sorry mm that uses that concept it was always more about they are a like a freelance aura of some sort or a bounty hunter mm -hmm. you know it's, i like the idea of it being like a bounty hunter thing but i didn't want it to be like like how how like no first you guys the american kind of portrayal of, of you know a guy if it's like a, a muggle thing going around in the muggle world guns yeah in and taking and claiming and claiming some gold I didn't want to be that. I, want, I wanted there to be like a purpose for it, and that's why I kind of had mm. attached to the ICW as like a team. So in a way, it's kind of based as a mixture of kind of like MI5, Even, MI6, yeah, and then also like our special forces mm. and kind of people you to get stuff done who you know where where regular auras can't do it, or there's you know circles in place where they, they have to kind of abide by where they do what they want as long as they get the job done sort of thing yeah it reminded me a bit when like you first introduced it i it reminded me a bit i don't know if uh you guys have it over there uh where you are but we have like uh bail enforcement agents um 
So if someone misses out their court date or something, or uh, yeah, we have them, but they're a bit of a joke over here. Yeah, so, kind of a joke over here. Too. Yeah, they're a joke. <laughs> so at first, when you introduced it, I was like, oh, so like Harry's gonna do something easy, and then like the more you described it, I was like, that's awesome. Like that, to me, then I started like looking for more hit wizard type stories, and I was like, this doesn't add the same appeal because. Like, the way you like, you didn't really showcase all the training, but you showcased the most important stuff. Um, the tests to see if Harry gets in, and then him uh, doing the tests at the end there. Like, that was cool. I was like, oh my god, that, that's for me. I, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of stealth games and stuff like that. So I was like, the way you had them like hide in plain sight and everything, I was like, "Oh, that's so cool! That's that's such a little, it's such an interesting concept to have a hit wizard like that, and not just some basic bounty hunters." I think like no, and and that's exactly what I was going for. I I wanted it to be a role that had some substance to it. There was meaning to it. Mm. Now I think if I'd have gone down like the more of a bounty hunter role, it would have been. But an empty gesture, and it felt like he was really wasting his time. Mm-hmm. But doing the the way that I did it meant something. The people after were you know, really unpleasant people who were re- you know really causing harm to a lot of others, and it was just uh, just the right. I said didn't become dominant story, so it did become something that was important to Harry's development as he moved forward. Mm-hmm. I think you'd be doing a disservice to the way you wrote the hit wizards without mentioning um Fedorov. And I think Fedorov was one of the strongest characters in the story until he was killed off. But even then it took a elite strike team of Grindelwald's army and Grindelwald himself to get to take him down. And even then they didn't get to kill him. And he was like, Nope, I'm going out on my own terms. And just, and like classic, like, you can't get any information out of me if I'm dead. And I think I think Fedorov really made the Hit Wizards who the Hit Wizards were because he was such a strong leader and so strong in his morals and values of what he believed in. And the flat out, the war with Grindelwald would have taken a very different turn if Fedorov was alive. And I think and I and I'm guessing that's why you killed him when you were taking it more of the were actually the more direct fighting aspect when Harry kind of got before Harry got involved. That's exactly it. And uh, Fedorov was the epitome of his job. You know, he was, he had integrity. He was a, he was a tough bastard. You know, he, he wasn't Mm. someone who was just put into office because he got a, you know, a famous name or anything. He used to be a hit wizard. He worked his way up, and mm-hmm. you know, he knows exactly what it what it takes to do that job. And there was absolutely no way he was gonna you know, allow himself to be captured or give anything away that was gonna put any of his people in danger. And that's pretty much it. He went out on his own shield, on on his own, you know, on mm-hmm. his own merit. It's basically a big fuck you to to Grindelwald and all of his followers. And he said that was essentially the catalyst for the story taking the turn that it did. Because if he would have survived and Harry would have remained as a hit wizard, you know, it would have been a very different type of story rather than the kind of um, 
the type of warfare that we ended up getting, you know, like with the mixture of trench warfare with, you know, slow kind of recapturing the, the green wall to take and, and whatnot. So mm. it was a necessary death, but it was one of the ones that I, I you know, a dozen times before I wrote the scene, but do I find a different way? You know, and then it, it just came down to if you want the story to go the way you want to, he's going to have to die. So it was one of the one of the more regretful regretful characters I've killed off in the past, and yeah, people liked him for some reason. Even if if you go through the um the fanfiction.net like reviews and stuff like that, people like Fedorov, and it's um you know it's more of a testament to to his his character. You know, the way I wrote him was when whenever I considered anything to do with him, it was what a man in, in his position do you know he, this is his job he's lived this job his entire life what would he do a face with these different situations and you know they weren't always the easiest things to write and sometimes i wanted to take in a different direction but for someone like him i had to remain true to his character because he, he's one of those unwavering characters regardless of the odds he faced or as you saw were by by the way his kind of place in the story ended he would not be he would not negotiate his it's his way or no way and if you don't like it you know it's kind of tough mm. so and and it did eventually just essentially essentially lead to him being killed off but and with with his pride his dignity and everything about him was you know it didn't his death didn't take anything away from how that he was I think the reason a lot of people like Fedorov is that Fedorov is very much a potential glance into Harry's future. At at least at yeah. the time when when mm. Fedorov was in the story, was stubborn, stuck in his ways, completely deadly. Nobody fucks with him because you do so at your own peril. Screw me over screw me over good luck with that i will find you i will kill you and it will hurt and so i think a lot of people saw harry in fedorov and i think to an extent the way you wrote it you saw you didn't flat out mention it but i think harry saw himself in fedorov too of if i keep going down the path that i'm going i'm going to turn into this man and i think and when you look at the story you definitely by the end of the story, the parallels between Fedorov and Harry are pretty numerous. I don't believe Fedorov had kids, but and his wife died before the before he did. But like you look at the end of the war, Harry is top brass. He is a global hero. Everyone knows mm -hmm. his name, all that kind of aspect. And while Fedorov never achieved that level of fame inside the ICW, you could argue inside the ICW yeah. and in Russia, you could argue that he was kind of a Harry level yeah. character in a small subsection of a group. Whereas Harry kind of just cranked that up by eleven. And I, I think it was really fascinating because Fedorov I don't think Fedorov expected the level of loyalty to him that he got. And it could just be that we're, we're biased because we really only see Harry's interactions with Fedorov. But you can tell that the ICW respects Fedorov because he does know where you live. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly to be to be put in this position there has to be a ton of trust from you know you got the representative rep- representatives of the ICW um they are essentially saying to this guy are in, t- in charge of our entire security. you know if there's any threats to us or to other people or to you know the citizens across each of our nations you're the person we're going to come to to fix it and and Fedorov was just that guy. He was, uh, he was just the guy who they everyone look at and be like, they know what he's about. You know, there there, there was no cloak and dagger stuff with him. Mm. He was very just upfront, very blunt, very. This is things are going to work. You know? and I think that's where a lot of the respect comes from. But at the same time, he was still human. Still got a human side where he'd give Harry advice and we learn about his backstory of helping his own people and things like that. He was very much a man of the people, but man of the of the body that he worked for and represented. Kind of he was just that one guy who everyone who knew of him looked to to fix the problems and you know, and Harry of course had deep respect for him and, and admired him. For everything that he'd kind of achieved and what he'd become, because he did it off his own back as well. He wasn't just given a position and, you know, he worked for it. He did the same things that Harry did. He would never have asked Harry or any of the other ones or any of the other um, hit wizards to do anything that he himself hadn't done or wouldn't have done in their position. It's, it's just that character of him. Of it was he had that air of respectability about him and that integrity that everybody could come look to and just. Put their faith in him. I got the the vibe from it of very much like um, Lord Commander Mormont picking John as his steward to kind of groom him to take over when he dies. Aspect. I kind of got the idea of Fedorov was kind of low key doing the same thing. He very much respected and used Harry as the weapon that Harry was in the story. But he also saw a bright future ahead for Harry of you can take over this job. And the more Fedorov used Harry, I, I, it came across to me at least that Fedorov was also kind of setting the seeds of his replacement because he, he knew he couldn't do it forever. So he was setting up a replacement of kind of 10 years down the line of kind of slapping Harry on the shoulder and going, I'm retiring jobs, yours. And Harry going, what? No, 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 no. What? You can't do that to me. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. Um, Harry joined up. It was, um, for Fedorov, he saw a lot of himself in Harry. And again, like you said, Harry saw a lot of himself in Fedorov, and like that—that that was kind of like his future. I think for Fedorov, it was a case of he looked—he could look back and see himself in Harry. You know, he had the grit, he had the ter- determination, he was talented enough. You know, he was ruthless. He just had everything there to do job. He was just very green, and he needed a lot of experience to build up to where he was. I think the whole idea of Fedorov, what he is the kind of guy who would look at you and just know what qualities you have, whether or not you're going to make it and what kind of person you're going to become. And 
but he, I think he's just one of those people who spent more than enough time with different kinds of hip wizards over the years that he knew exactly the kind of person he was looking for to replace him. And when Harry came along, he just ticked those boxes. And, you know, you kind of see with their relationship throughout, he confided in Harry with certain things and Harry went to him and was, they were in many, many ways working to get Fedorov was gone. And then you saw how it affected Harry as well when he learned that Fedorov was dead. Immediately, I'm not doing more. If, I, if it's not him, I'm not doing it. And he kind of just stepped back when when uh, when Fedorov was replaced. And it was, you know, for him, a big part of it was the fact that Fedorov was gone. It wasn't going to be the same. You know, he didn't really like anybody else. But it was, it was still a big part of it that... I think the maneuvering, putting Ghost in charge and then adding Fox as his second in command was a genius move on your part because my god is fox one of the most annoying fucking characters <laughs> yeah. in the entire story um in a good way too. and in a good way like you you're rooting you're all you almost want to root against her until you remember that she's on the same side as harry and every and everyone else you want to win so you're put between a rock and a hard place of i want to see this woman fail miserably but also if she fails miserably that Not that good. can have dire consequences and i think you did that perfectly with the capture of her team because she did fail miserably and there were very few dire consequences and actually arguably it was very beneficial her failure because grindelwald because mm. it allowed harry to use the subterfuge and of the knowing that there's a spy to trick grindelwald into Moving, strengthening yeah. bulgaria while harry took what was it czechoslovakia oh, yeah. i believe and he took he took che the Czechoslovakia solo as the serpent, and that it was kind of one of those games of chess of, okay, great, you captured this quote unquote elite team and a hit wizard. Well, you just lost an entire country. Exactly, and and that's that's one of the things I I quite I liked about Harry's character. He wasn't an all guns blazing kind of person. I think his time training as uh, as a hit wizard um, it taught him to do in a little bit more to his cunning side because he has got one even in camp. Yeah, he, he showed quite a lot of potential. Quite cunning. Oh. One of the things that I wish was explored a little bit more by, mm. by J.K. Rowling, and you know, that's for that's that's in a different conversation. <laughs> but I thought it was absolutely necessary for him to have that. When it came to doing this, because he wasn't just going to turn up onto the continent and run around and charge through and kill Grindelwald's men and then get to Grindelwald, that's going to be the end yeah. of it. There had to be, like you said, the aspect of subterfuge, and, and there had to be a lot more kind of cunning and and game plan and all that kind of stuff. And him being being a hit wizard was what really kind of set him up to be able to do that so effectively when it came to the battles, like like with with the actual ICW army, rather than being the being in a small team of hit wizards or acting solo in those kind of scenarios he had means at his disposal but when it came to taking czechoslovakia it was kind of like it's easy if i just do it myself you know i can i can set this up the way i wanted to and i can be in there before anybody even knows it and that's essentially what what it kind of came down to even though he was by that point you know quite deeply as a part of the icw army he was still willing to kind of you know dip into that bag of tricks of being a hit wizard 
to kind of turn everything to the advantage. That's exactly what he did in that scenario. It just kind of worked out quite nicely. Not so much for Fox, but it worked out mm. nicely for everyone else. She had <laughs> I will say, yeah, I think... I, I think... Oh, okay. um, really quickly, I think like the whole cunning part, you even showed it off in the beginning when Harry was back at Hogwarts and he is trying to figure out how to get a one-up on his dorm teacher and the fact he went to the headmaster and he, he's piecing together stuff and he's figuring out as times go as time is moving forward he's using his knowledge of the future to invest things like that that's pretty cunning at least to me yeah then for, for harry you know he's he's kind of quite literally any kind of warning just dumped back into this period of time where you know he he has a, a kind of a knowledge of to an extent but nothing that's really going to benefit him than what he's learned from professor bins which obviously isn't very much because people tune out and so he had to do his own research to you know to kind of start pulling things together so we know so he could know where to be and what to do and you know what's going to happen and what's coming at the same time the knowledge he did have was oh I, I know, like going through like the different adverts and investment opportunities. I know that name. That that that, that did really mm. well. You know, every student at Hogwarts had a had a bit of this when I was there. Let's put some money into that, and that was essentially what it came down to. He used the the in in all small amount of knowledge he did have mm. to kind of you know make a really good opportunity for himself. Like when he's in 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 Drupal's best begum and all that kind of stuff. Mm. They're names that he know, and that they, for him it's just like common sense. But again, it's cunning because you know he's he's using knowledge that nobody else has of what's coming. So he's basically cheating the stock market. Yeah, and on it's only the cheating part, if you get caught. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and on the other uh, part, I think, that too. Guess I go ahead, Bailey. I think also one of the the aspects of cunning is when Harry is working as a hit wizard and Fedorov's having him like um, infiltrating Germany and investigating and like looking for a reason. I, I really enjoyed that aspect of Fedorov kind of, I have to play by these rules, but there are no rules saying that I can't send somebody in there on, on the back end to look for a reason. And Harry coming across the German concentration camps in those areas and having major moral battles inside of him going, I haven't found a reason. I can't help these people. And if I break the rules, we're the bad guys now. I can't help them. And him having to him having to be like use that cunning and ruthlessness in a not so good way of I can't help these people without causing major repercussions for hundreds of others, including myself. And I think that really showed Harry's character of his desire to help people, but also his survival instinct of, I can't help these people, no matter how much I want to. No, and, and that, that's exactly it. And that actually does stem from um, real life kind of diaries that I've read that come from world war ii from soldiers and mm. you know people who came across the these places and there's uh, a diary that i read of a he was a german soldier and he was in he was in russia 
I can't remember the exact details of it, um, but the, the, the actual story stuck with me where they came across an abandoned house and they found uh, a dead body in the bed. They also found uh, an escaped prisoner of war living in the basement. And this prisoner of war guy was, he was Jewish. Very, you know, he's just very refused to sleep in the bed of other people. You know, he, he was very pious. Mm. So he, he was one of those where, I'm not going to sleep in the bed. I'm not going to eat their food. I just want to stay here in this shelter just for a little while. And uh, this man and his and his platoon, essentially, and his battle group, they found this guy. Um, they wanted to hate him, but they couldn't because he was so nice. And then it was actually an SS patrol that came along and found them. They took the guy outside and shot him. And because the, the other Germans refused to. They were basically dismissed. The SS guys took him outside and shot him. And there was this moral dilemma of, okay, he, these, these SS, guys, SS guys who nobody likes anyway, they just shot this man for absolutely no reason. And they had this whole moral conundrum of, right, do we go and kill these? Like, do we go and kill the SS men? And they were going to do it. And it wasn't until one of them pointed out that that's an SS platoon who are, who are going from village to village. All we're going to do is give them give if we kill them we're going to give they're, they're going to blame the people in the villages for attacking them what we're going to do is give germany and the ss more reason to go and hurt more people do we you know mm. we avenge this one guy who got shot kill the people satisfy our bloodlust for it and then hundreds and thousands of others get get killed for us getting revenge for one person it, it basically comes down to one can you justify changing the suffering of one person for the eventual suffering of even more? That's where that kind of moral kind of conundrum that Harry faces came from. And, you know, this, in the story, they made the right choice and didn't kill the SS men. Or in the diary extract, sorry, they didn't kill the SS men. And in the story, Harry ultimately made the same choice. Like, I could get in there and I could help these people. But somebody's going to get blamed and then other people are going to suffer because of his actions it's yeah that's what it all kind of stemmed from and then you again like you said yourself it's, it's that kind of that cunning and things because in canon he tends to just go for it doesn't he mm. he doesn't really always consider anything like says that a boldness that he's got but in when the was again he he was a bit more considerate of what he was doing he was much more aware of the consequences to his actions and so on yeah, and you definitely oh, see that yeah. in beginning part after when you brought, I mean, very beginning when you bring Harry, uh, uses time turner, he ends up back in time, and he has to go through this whole conundrum of should he say stuff and whatnot too. It's he he tries to keep it limited at some points, and uh, even later on when they ask him about Tom Riddle and harry says he's not going to kill him he's not going to stoop to that level of killing a child um he's that bull like yeah. like to hotly debate about the story why didn't he just kill voldemort why didn't he just kill him he could have just killed him and that would have been done yeah. and it would never would have happened and you know but at the same time that was the one thing that harry could see that separated them and, yeah you know tom riddle was willing to kill a baby or kill a child but harry would not that's the one thing that he could cling on to to say that I'm nothing like him. Yeah, you know Harry at this point in the story, being a hit wizard, he'd killed dozens of people, 
uh, been in a war he killed dozens, hundreds of people and done things that he probably never considered that he'd have to do. And where do you see here drawing the comparisons between himself and Voldemort? The only difference is it comes down to, because Harry was more willing to use dark magic mm. or whatever he needed to to get the job done. Difference that lay between that, yes, Tom Riddle created Horcruxes. The other side of it, more than anything, was that I will not harm a child. Regardless of who he is, what he's going to become, I cannot bring myself to do that because that's the one thing that I can cling on to that separates us. Mm-hmm. And that was that was really highlighted throughout the story of that there was that theme of him that was the one difference that harry held on to and for him everything else he did he could justify so long as he didn't harm a child and even if it was going to be voldemort because he knew by the time tom riddle grew up and became a problem or so he thought initially he was not going to be a problem for harry harry'd be able to deal with him yeah and even even as you saw at the end he did it was it, it wasn't you know voldemort was a uh, for someone Harry, who yeah. was he was quite far behind in regards to experience and whatnot. He was still a very dangerous wizard when they faced off. Mm. He, just, he just wasn't Harry. And Harry made it look quite easy when much everybody else would have struggled to, to face him. Yeah. And that, that's pretty much what it came down to. Harry knew that when, when it came time to meet, he was going to have all the experience. He was going to be, he knew Voldemort. He knew Tom Riddle. He knew everything about him at this point. There was nothing that Tom Riddle could do to him that was going to really cause him any problems. The other issue he had was, again, the same similar kind of moral ambiguity of the whole thing of if Voldemort does, you know, become, or Tom Riddle does become Voldemort, people are going to suffer. Mm. And he thought that he could perhaps nip that in the bud because he knew what was coming and what would happen. He did not expect um, Dipper and Moni Murtis to be killed by Tom Riddle as and when it happened and for him to escape. So yeah. that was the kind of one downfall and that's where that's where it kind of diverted a bit from from canon from what tom eventually became he didn't quite reach the heights of what he should have been as i i think that was important because you think there was also there was also the aspect of harry to an extent created voldemort Mm. in the aspect of when Tom was listening into Harry and Minerva's conversation and Harry kind of just snapped and almost killed him. And that created the absolute and utter hatred for Harry. And then subsequently the serpent when Harry's secret identity got revealed of the absolute pure hatred of Harry. And like, I'm going to be better than him. People will fear me. They won't praise me. They'll fear me aspect and i think that was also an interesting one of voldemort was going to happen regardless yeah but harry kind of 100 percent set him on that path unintentionally especially with the chamber of secrets too how how you dealt with that, that too where he almost drowned uh almost killed tom riddle in there um yeah, yeah and, and that was that was kind of what i knew it needed to happen in a way that Tom's anger would be aimed at Harry anyway. It was going to happen regardless mm-hmm. because of you know prophecy and and everything, all the other kind of underlying aspects that that were still kind of present. But I wanted it to be more kind of purposeful, mm-hmm. with Tom really looking at Harry for everything that he himself did. He was thinking of, I'm going to kill this man. I want to kill him. And it was it was that mixture of fear. He hated being scared of things. Tom Riddle did, and 
what it was when he was a teenager. He knew he couldn't fight back, and even even beyond that, he was scared. He was scared of Harry because he was this celebrated wizard who you know the media spoke of in you know such you know such flashing ways, and all of his exploits were really well known. All the things he did, the battles he'd won, and mm-hmm. all these different fights. And he was a survivor, and he was this, this brilliant wizard. And Tom Riddle feared him, but you know he's one of those people in life who will take what they fear and want to conquer it and that that's essentially what it became for Tommy he hated Harry but he feared him more than he hated him and he hated the fact that he was terrified and that's essentially what it came down to is he was scared of Harry he wanted to defeat and conquer his fear and also you know he had his other kind of ambitions but he knew he would never be able to achieve those ambitions whilst Harry was still around mm-hmm what um so going from the hogwarts to the hit wizard stage of the story what was like was there any like concerns when you you were transitioning from i want i don't want to say like eras because maybe the same time but it was like two different harrys in my mind where after he gets transported and he they cleansed uh, the horcrux he he does change, and we, we do see that as you wrote the story. He's a little bit, like you said, more willing to use dark magic, a little bit, I, w- I don't want to say brutal, but more willing to fight and, and not hold back. Yeah, it, it was, again, it was one of those things I had to really sit and consider because it became a case of Harry arrived, he was essentially still a child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was cleansed of the Horcrux and he had that kind of settling in period where he made friends with Charles and he was getting closer to Minerva and everything along those lines. But at the same time, I needed to, for him to mature in a way that it would be acceptable for him to go straight into doing the kind of job that he did. And for that, there needed to be some kind of epiphanies for him. There needed to be quite a lot of character development. And the... The way that that really came about was um, one of the one of the very chapters I mentioned, you know, and even even in the summary of the of the story in, in on fanfiction.net, there's a dark lord on the horizon that's not Voldemort yeah. that is going to cause absolute devastation, and and Harry knew what was coming. Nobody at this point, mm. he kind of saw it as his own responsibility that because of his interactions with Dumbledore, he kind of saw Dumbledore as than what he expected yeah was not even as a younger man he was always kind of i never really will say oh i'm gonna fight i'm gonna do something i will you know kind of protect people it was kind of disappointed in dumbledore once met and throughout his kind of last couple of years at school and Mm. he essentially became what he thought was because he knew that grindelwald was going to become a problem was going to be coming and he needed to be ready for it because at the same time he's not the he's not a person who's going to sit back and do nothing when mm. he has knowledge that can really do well yeah. harry who put an end to it. it was harry who you know led the icw forces in the end and you know that was what it all kind of led to the difficulty in getting that transition was finding the right balance between Harry still being young and quite new, despite his experience already, to 
um becoming that hardened kind of soldier mm. you know that a young man who's kind of just nowhere and everyone's looking at and everyone's paying attention to and he's just who is giving people hope that in the world's not going to win and the difficulty with that more than anything else was he's had with students and the people he was meeting so he when they did the career day thing you saw the thing and um harry was kind of oh i think i might do this and charles was dead set against and, yeah. it yeah like, no, you don't want to do like it kind of thing for you that's when you get the first kind of yeah that's where you get the first sign of really showing his independence where he's disagreeing with who he knows is going to be his grandfather and someone who he really mm. you know really respected and liked he turned around and he said, no, this is to do. You can either like it or lump it. Mm. And he said the same to Minerva and everybody else. And he's kind of like, this is my choice. This is what I'm doing. You don't have to. Like it. And there, there was a fallout there for some whilst, you know, they weren't happy with Harry and Harry was just adamant that he was going to do it. Mm. And that was for him, his first step, first steps into becoming the man that he eventually ended up being. Right. And I, I think it was that interaction there decided that that's what he was going to do and there was nothing going to change his mind that really kind of stuff. Hmm. well and i think the 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 great aspect of that was harry saw the hit wizard i don't the hit wizard display at the career booth and then charles charles was like um why don't you be an or and harry's like and work for the ministry are you joking <laughs> Because of all his entire interactions with Umbridge and Book Five, like he he did not trust the Ministry, and he was like, "Well, the ICW, I know nothing about." And worst case scenario, I do the job, I get through, and I figure out that I absolutely hate them. Well, I received all this training, and I'm good. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. He's very anti-Ministry, even throughout the whole story. Mm-hmm. He's very anti-ministry because of the experience he had with them because of umbridge and fudge and you know the, the trials and after the dementia attack and you know he's not looking at them in any kind of favorable light and he blames them partly for serious dying because umbridge was the one who yeah. you know got in his way when he wanted to go to the, the ministry and he was trying to speak to creature through the fireplace and you know it, it just everything just all fell apart at that moment for him and then at the point in the story, the very start of the story, it, it's just after Sirius is dead, and he is looking for everybody that he can blame. And you know, he blames Dumbledore, he blames Sirius for being as dafty as sort of thing, and then he blames the Ministry as well. So when it comes to, to like you say, when Charles says, "Oh, why don't you be an aura?" to Harry, that was a very laughable thing. It's just like, why would I work for myself working for somebody who I know is is just you know out for themselves and yeah. that that's i came from but charles couldn't understand that he just thought harry was being difficult and stubborn obviously he had no understanding of what harry's experience with the ministry had been so it was a point of contention for them both and essentially harry won out and when charles realized that harry's mind was not going to be changed he kind of kind of accepted it he was never happy about it but he accepted it so speaking of the Harry Charles relationship, it's very much if if anybody has read this story, it's like 
late it's like eight chapters from the completion or like nine like 103 where mm-hmm. harry finally tells Reveals, yeah. the potters the remaining potters except for james and doria and he tells charles and angelina what i don't remember her name um and charles's mother and his great grandmother um that he is he is charles's grandson and her great grandson did you have plans to do it earlier or was it always going to be towards the end kind of i think i think for me it was um i always intended on doing it towards the end of the story i didn't want that to be uh, a th- because you when like how i wrote stepping back for example it was harry came out immediately i'm harry potter i'm this person i'm this person i'm this person Mm. And that was great for that story. It worked because it helped um, build build the bonds that he needed to build for, for that particular story. I think when it came to When the Roses Bloom Again, Harry was very much, you know, more concerned about the kind of changes he could make in that particular period of time. Um, you know, World War II, everything that's happened around there. You know, the between the the thirty odd years between when the roses bloom again and and stepping back in in, in time scale, they're very very different worlds and there's very different problems that you need to face. When it came to doing when the roses bloom again, I toyed with the idea of them never finding out, and then I thought, oh well, what about if it's like halfway through the story? But well, no, because then it just it's just adding something else that's quite a big revelation into a part of the story where there's a lot already happening and then you have that whole conflict thing of charles perhaps thinking oh you're my grandson you're going to do as you're told sort of thing and then you've got more conflict there and it's just going to cause more problems and there was already enough for them all to overcome at that point in time and i kind of just figured that instead of making it a really key part of the story it would just work better out towards the end when there is no conflict everything's a little bit calmer then they can just solely focus on that particular revelation and that's pretty much all the logic was behind it i i think it was also the the unintended side effect slash con um conflict of it was if harry told charles and the potters when he first arrived that charles could have gone absolutely not i will it could have thrown off him, his and Doria's entire thing, and Charles could have completely misinterpreted everything and married someone else, throwing everything off, and like having six kids, so that way there'd be an army of Potters to protect his potential future grandson in that aspect. Because that is something Charles would do: of like, I need to help protect him, so I'm going to change the past to make sure there's an army of fucking Potters ready and willing to go like if anything pops off and i think him telling telling harry telling charles later on kind of went well fuck now i can't i couldn't have helped you in this situation exactly and if you think about the differences between charles and james so charles instead and when the roses bloom again would have had a more profound kind of reaction he would have been more proactive this needs to happen this needs to happen this needs to happen to protect James in stepping back was already at this point intent that he was going to marry Lily. 
So no yeah. matter what Harry did or what Harry said, he was still going to marry Lily regardless. And for him, Harry coming as he did only reiterate the fact that, oh, okay, so, somewhere along the line, uh, I didn't marry yeah. her and we had a kid. <laughs> Um, James is it, like, it too... yes, vindication. Yeah, that's exactly it. So it's two very different scenarios where you're going to get two different reactions. Obviously, at that point, Charles and Doria were married. They had James. James was already infatuated with Lily. He was already determined by at that point he was going to marry her. When Harry arrives and when the roses bloom again, there's absolutely nothing set in stone. Charles and Doria barely interacted. There's no guarantee that they're going to end up married. And uh, it's very, very vividly pointed out in the first part of the story. Harry is not going to interfere in what happens between Charles and Doria. That's their business. And like, because he, he's very much aware, if I mess this up, then, you know, it could cause problems down the line. So he very blatantly stays out of it. Whereas in Stepping Back, it's very much the, pretty much the opposite. Mm. So it works you know him coming out as as a potter and stepping back works you know very early on in the story and when the roses bloom again it would have had a lot more kind of ramifications for the future of the story characters and even his own birth and so on so it's well there's a lot of... in the aspect of between comparing your three time travel fics of stepping back whispers of a raven and when the roses bloom again you have stepping back where harry kind of bursts through the bursts in and goes i'm harry motherfucking potter and everyone's like okay you're harry potter um that's great you're james's secret twin that we kept secret because you're super magically powerful we can work with this and then you've got whispers where harry potter is dead mm. it's harry mm. peverell now and so he and he does have uh he does have a he does have an influence in his parents lives but at that point, he's he's years older than them. It to have a relationship with them would be weird, and it would be wrong. Of like, hey, here's this twenty-something-year-old coming coming up to a fifteen-year-old and going, "You're my father," and him going, "What?" <laughs> and it would never have worked. And I think I think in the same sense of with roses, you you very much could have made it work, but the the character of Charles is Charles didn't have life experience yet. William probably would have been like, okay. And I think William was the same way in the aspect of, okay, so if this is going to happen, I think William would have gone the more political route of trying to use his influence in the Wisingamont to create a better future for harry whereas charles would have been i'm going to create an army aspect of it and i think william would have been yeah. like that's one way to do it son but you can mm -hmm. also do the other way and i william, think william I, was uh very much what we would call a summer a summertime child he, yes you know, sweet summer born, child yeah he was brought up without any kind of conflict he had a nice privileged lifestyle he was a gifted wizard in his own way but he didn't have to be so he there was no kind of motivation for him to become this incredible warrior or anything like that but he had that same potter moral obligation to do something and eventually it just got himself killed um yeah it was it was quite a sad thing because i really liked his character because he's the one potter that i've written where he's just like quite a 
very just chilled out kind of nice guy who just wants to help people and protect his family and he does what he what he does to protect his family but essentially him dying just spurs harry and charles to go to war anyway yeah his entire goal of going to war was to prevent charles and to an extent harry from going to war and yeah. in his going to war he sent harry and charles to war because harry because before him joining he didn't know harry was a hit wizard that was kind of he knew harry was a hit wizard but he didn't know how involved in the war harry was and then when harry yeah. started saving his ass on a weekly basis um <laughs> he kind of realized he's like okay, he got to realize he's, he's quite far into this so yeah oh, shit um, harry is balls deep into this conflict fuck this was one of and the things really, that I was trying to avoid. And then Yeah. And then him, and he dies. And then he dies. <laughs> and That's it. And, and that's it. It was so like sudden. It was so sudden. And I and it was one of those great things of William was such a good person that he took in this orphan who he didn't know he had fam familial connections to. He thought he might be possibly related to them somewhere, some way in that mm. aspect of whose kid is this and why does he look like my son? <laughs> yeah, and, that's exactly it. And like, just like try to put the pieces together and never coming up with the full picture because the pieces that the breadcrumbs that Harry dropped were never there enough for everyone and no. I, I think I think it was really well done of the the first section of the story up until um, when the British forces especially Harry's group kind of corner him in his office and go alright you're the serpent aren't you don't try and lie to us we know like just confirm it and because that's kind of that's kind of the tipping point of everyone kind of going all right you're you're this person we know who you are now and i and they kind of all collectively just agreed that questioning who harry is at this point is a moot point because he's not going to tell us oh, he's yeah. not going to talk about it we know what we know and we know enough about harry about his character about his personality everything we need to know we know and so it's not until the end of the till the end of the story where everyone goes oh my god that makes so much sense now mm. no exactly that they knew they knew harry knew that they knew they knew that harry knew that they knew and they kind of just went along with a charade for you know for whatever purpose that was essentially it it was it was like a as, as we call it, a gentleman's agreement we know what you know <laughs> we know what you are you know what that we know what you are but nobody else is gonna we're, we're bringing it to you but that's what we're gonna say on the matter and that was kind of it. They know, he knows, they know, he knows, he knows, he knows, they know. And they, you know, that kind of horrible back and forth kind of, you know, tongue twisting of words. And it, it just kind of, as you say, it's ended up just being, we know what you are. You know what you are. You know that we know what you are. Let's just go on from here, shall we? And that was what it essentially became. I didn't want it to be like this horrible, you know, really unpleasant revelation or anything like that where everyone's going to be put out. And, you know, even though there's some people who. Well, I know, love the. I love the aspect of it was it was the ICW forces the it was 
it was um, Yaxley and Gilbert and all those guys who kind of pieced it together. And then you've got these two really smart characters on the other side in Grindelwald and Weber who couldn't piece it together of here's all the puzzle pieces. Now, granted, they weren't playing with a full deck of cards on that information side, but they're like, ah, yes, Commander Evans is in the hospital or Commander Evans is gone. But the serpent hasn't been seen in a bit. Nah, it's a coincidence. No, and that's and that's exactly <laughs> it. I think a lot of it was just because of how Harry played his hand when when he was still kind of you know, keeping everything a little bit more chest. you know was so sporadic with what he did. He would occasionally just turn up and cause problems somewhere. And then he'd be gone again for weeks and then he'd suddenly just turn up. I think just because he didn't really have any pattern of what he was necessarily doing, I think that was the one thing where where both Weber and and Grinnell were kind of just like not paid any attention to the fact that, oh, Evans isn't here, the serpent's not shown up. Harry wasn't away from the trenches for such an extended period of time that it was kind of really noticed, other than when um, Rosa was born. Yeah. So it was um, well, and by then, that point, the serpent wasn't active. No, exactly. Uh, the, so... the serpent, it, when Harry, after the taking of Czechoslovakia, the serpent goes away. It's for a it, while, he doesn't yeah. return until after Rosa was born, or right before when they're in Ukraine, and and Grindelwald mm. shows up. And they're like, um, no, that was literally like days Mm -hmm. after Rosa was born. Yeah. And so, because they send the, yeah, they send the Patronus and Harry bursts in, you know, magical flames and just goes full ape shit of like, you sons of bitches took me away from my kid. I'm going to (laughs) fucking kill you. Exactly. (laughs) And that's when it all kind of came known more than anything else that okay, this is Harry Evans, he is the serpent. And it was kind of became well, I think everyone at that point. Without Rosa, I don't think the serpent would have come back as he... I don't think Harry would have unle- released the serpent so, so much to say. Because I think Harry... Because I think Rosa was very much a... All right, we got to speed this along, guys. I want to get home. Come on, come on, come on. I didn't have... Any, I, I had Minerva back home, but I could see her on the brakes. That was fine. But now I got a kid. I want to be in that kid's life. Let's wrap this up, people. Hurry up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Exactly. And so That's he was exactly kind of it. like, I've been play, I've been fighting with one hand tied behind my back this entire time. Let's let's go full bore. All all else fails. We are blitzkrieging the shit out of this. Like. And that's what it essentially came down to. He was he was kind of like, I, this is my family time. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he got the family time is because he punched a Spanish man in the face. <laughs> we I were just talking that, about and it was we were we were talking about that before you joined because I my procrastination hit me like a bus when I realized because I've been listening to the audiobook version a lot and I've been waiting I've been doing the same thing that I did with when Rose when Chapters of Roses was coming out I wait for a couple to 
to build up and then I'd listen to them throughout the workday. And then immediately afterwards, I would um, switch to the fanfiction.net audio feature, which comparing that to Sam Gabriel is like, it's dog shit in comparison. It, it works. I get the story, but it is so much more boring at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, you're, you're comparing it, the compare, there's not even a comparison comparison that puts into words of how glaring the difference is, but I was listening. I caught up to where I was from where I was at up to that. And I, I got up right to when Harry went on leave and I was, we were talking about it. It's like, yeah, Harry literally went. Harry punched the Spaniard, got time on the beach, and, and a promotion. promotion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was pretty much it. And it was just like, and and I think I think without the introduction of Rosa, Harry would have been perfectly. He wouldn't have been fine with the pace of the war, but he would not have been. Let's go, let's go, let's go, no, let's go, yeah. let's go, let's go. More, he, he was so it. that's when the focus for him became more like we need to get this even dunk even quicker now. Because he yeah. always, there was always a time rush for him of I need this war done before Tom Riddle graduates so that way I don't have to use my like leave. But at that point, he could just say, Charles, you're in charge. I have a, I have something I have to do. And then goes to Britain, kills Tom, and then comes back and goes, <laughs> all right, what did I miss? <laughs> exactly. But we, as, as you said, when Rosa was born, it was – he held her and he realized that he was he was missing things. He, and he did, even when he was on the continent and, and Minerva was sending letters, he realized that he missed her first steps and mm. he was missing her first words. And for him, that was just unacceptable because he didn't have parents. To him, family will always be everything to Harry. And he's on the continent fighting a war. Um, so and it, it becomes about getting home. You know, it, you know, it's about Grindelwald and defeating him. But at the same time, he wants to go home to to watch his daughter grow up and be there for her and, you know, be a father and be everything that he never had. So it does become a little bit more um, for him. Like I say, like I say, it lights a fire on him. OK, we need to get this done. Um, yeah. I've got a family now. I'm tired of the well, war. Let's and you show throughout the, the rest of the story that Harry has major regrets for all that he missed in Rosa's life. And and it's it's mentioned that she doesn't even remember him not being there like because she was so young. But it eats Harry up that he missed all of that. He missed the birth. He missed her first steps. He missed her first words. He missed all of these major points in his child's life. And tears him up inside when he thinks about it of like i waste i any and, he, and he, he's got this major conflict of i wasted so much time but also at the same time he was doing something so important that sacrifices had to be made for a better future for rosa but at the same time if he wasn't as moral as he was he he could have just gone bye guys i'm gonna go be a dad mm-hmm. Exactly. It was, it was he was torn between two places when it came down to the war, and it, it's kind of strange. Even though Rosa doesn't remember um, him not being there or anything like that, it does still have an effect on them because they're not as close as she gets older. She gets older, she gets married, and she disappears off. And Harry hates her husband, but 
respect you know her decision enough not to kind of interfere and it's always the aspect that there's it's not that they've grown apart but there's kind of there's something between them there's uh, a distance between Rosa them has gone and she she moved to france with her husband and whatnot and but there's always there's also the other side of it where the minute she says to harry i want to come home of course you can this is your home you're always welcome and, that, and that's it that's the end of it and they get cars from you she stays there she doesn't ever leave again essentially she lives with them until mm-hmm. until she dies and i quite liked that moment of it where there was that there was that distance there and it wasn't necessarily because harry missed out on certain things it was just that rosa realized how difficult it was being being his daughter growing up you know her name was rosa evans she was harry's harry evans daughter and there was a lot evans too yeah and there was a lot to live up to you know it's a big name he's he's famous he's this he's that and when she learned of everything he did because it was minerva who ended up telling her before or on pretty much on the first day she went to hogwarts when everyone was questioning oh, is, is he your dad and is that your mom and you know and then she goes to speak to minerva and minerva's like okay well it's about time you know there i think for rose it was at that point where she was kind of like okay maybe i don't quite know my dad as well as i thought i did and it kind of in a way starts that point of where there's some kind of distance between them but then as she gets older she realizes that you know it, it's mm. different and he harry wasn't going to talk to her about the war and his experiences and killing people and watching people he cared about die and you know missing out on things with her because he was like fighting and missing out of time on his wife and then he had a son and, and everything and everyone wanted a piece of him when the war was over it was just it's not really things things. you talk about with with a seven-year-old yeah <laughs> and and that's what it comes down to like she grows up and she kind of distances herself and plays she's playing quidditch and whatnot he's still there for her but she's there's, there's like a bit of distance between them that you know. it isn't because of harry it isn't because of her it's just she doesn't know how to kind of broach the subject of my dad killed hundreds of people he killed grindelwald he's a world famous wizard everybody loves him how can i even hope to compare sort of thing and well and and she mentions that of like between her father and her mother being a world-class educator and all that that that's one of the reasons that she that she went into quidditch was i'm going to create my own spotlight on myself that exactly i'm I'm going to be Rosa Evans, mm-hmm. just or Rosa, whatever her last name is. I I don't remember what her married name was, but uh, but toward she's not going to be Rosa Evans, daughter of Harry and Minerva Evans. She's going to be Rosa Evans. Side note in the in her description, daughter of world renowned Dark Lord Slayer Harry Evans and world renowned educator Minerva Evans, like it's it's why she did all that and it i think it's just very fascinating because you see jack who is who's just as just as in the story as the as harry's other as rosa is not as important to the plot almost but he's very important in the story of seeing his kind of acceptance of oh yeah my dad's a badass what are you talking about that's dope as all hell dad teach me i want to be an horror and harry going I really don't want you to be, but fuck it. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it right. Exactly. But even Jack doesn't really understand what Harry's capable of until no. he sees him. 
and then it kind well, of it all falls into place and he's kind of like oh shit my dad really is that guy well i mean when you think about it like jack grew up after the age of 11 he he started getting more of the stories of his dad and like the stories that uncle reg and uncle charles and uncle arcturus were telling mm-hmm. at christmas and things or that you guys don't have thanksgiving at <laughs> easter and all these times that you guys they they would meet up and they would like go off and talk and and him going oh they're just close because of close because they were when they were younger and then him kind of like piecing those pieces together and reg and reg being like completely like no your dad's a badass and jack's like i know and reg going no you don't know (laughs) you know Uh, you you think think you know know. (laughs) you think you know like your dad's taught you some cool shit but kid you're great your dad is epic (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly it and the other side of it as well is Jack was a lot closer to Minerva's parents than he was um, even like mm. his magical side of the family. Um, he, would, he was there constantly with um, his grandparents and Minerva's mum and dad. Constantly. He was there helping look after his, his grandmother and helping look after his grandfather. He was even like, there was a point of, let me get this man some potions and we can fix it. And then he, he was mm. just like, no, I don't believe in that. My God will take me when my time is sort of thing. Sneaking and, away from Hogwarts to go visit his grandparents instead of doing what anyone else would sneak away from Hogwarts mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, and for me that was like a very Jack thing to do. He was very it's much very... like Harry, what Harry would have been if he wasn't, if he didn't need to be what he became. Yeah, it's very, he's, Jack is very much Harry's son. In yeah. all of, Jack is the greatest version, is the good storyline of harry like where where you have the good storyline in video games and the bad ending jack is the good yeah. ending and i'm not saying that harry in when the roses bloom again is the bad ending because he's kind of more the middle ending of this could have gone a lot worse but also this could have gone a lot better yeah mm-hmm. that's, that's 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 exactly the way i look at it i wanted jack to be the best parts of what harry could have been without being corrupted by anything without the horcruxes without war and voldemort and the murder of his parents and everything else i like to think that jack was very much like charles um was very much like james you know he was very focused on the things he really wanted to do and he was very very good at what he, the things he worked at but he also had that, that innocence about him i mean that just that because james was very generous he was a very nice guy like for his friends and things like that I also like to think that if James's grandparents were were alive when he would have been growing up, he would have been sneaking out to see them during Hogsmeade weekends. Instead of going to Hogsmeade, I'm just going to sneak and see my grandparents for a while. And that's exactly what Jack was. He absolutely adored his grandparents. And even when they died and the house was empty, he lived there. He he moved into that house. He stayed there. That was that became his home. So it was it was just you know it was, it was nice for him to grow up a little bit differently and. You know, he idolized Harry and whatnot, but he was so close to the Minerva's parents at the same time. It was just, you know, it was nice to have that aspect of it as well. Yeah, I I think that was, well, and Jack was, Jack was very much go with the flow of, and as, as the only boy in a family of girls, Mm -hmm. um, his reaction to um, Lily 
of when did you have another one <laughs> is spot on yeah. perfect just immaculate of oh great there's another one delightful don't remember this one being born there's so many now that i just i don't back. remember this one when when did when did she appear <laughs> and it's just it's perfect because i have the same reaction when my sisters bring friends over and all that stuff and i'd go in and i'd be like oh great there's more whatever what's another one exactly and the funny thing as well oh, where, where they make the comment to rose i didn't know you had a kid <laughs> it's like yeah it's just, it's, it's, you know you think that's stuff that he'd pay attention to but he's just having sisters around him all the time and you know being the butt of the jokes and having a hard time you know you can imagine the life he had growing up with that many sisters oh yeah so i come jack is my favorite character in there because i relate to jack very much in the aspect of yeah i i too have four sisters and it's like oh great there's four of them exactly that that's just Jack. He he like I say, he's very just kind of he's learned to be that guy who just kind of goes with it, enjoy a peaceful life. You know, he cares about his family because he always felt obligated to take care of his his sisters despite Rosa being a bit older than him. He's he's the boy, you know. He's yeah. he puts up with a lot of crap from his sisters, but he'd absolutely do everything for them. But at the same time, when he's away from them, he's kinda of like, do you know what, this is nice. Life is good. <laughs> well, I, don't I mean have... you you even showcase it of like the the slow um ag- the slow list of people banned from the basement of the, and, and the reasons why of like when somebody made a derogatory comment about Rosa Jack pulled used a toast toast splitting curse on them like and Harry's like I should punish you and I am you're not allowed in the basement anymore. <laughs> 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 but well, also, like, I could just imagine Minerva turning around and Harry crouching down and holding out a hand for a high five. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's the, exactly what he would have done as well. And when he was alone, he probably would have given some kind of reward as well. Oh, yeah. All right. So what broom do you want? <laughs> or what do you want? <laughs> exactly. You've earned this. <laughs> You've earned this. Next time, be a little bit more subtle. You're a Slytherin, for Christ's sakes. Like, get caught. Subtlety. Subtlety, kid. Subtlety. But, exactly. nice job. <laughs> That's exactly it. Do what you want. Do whatever you feel like you need to do. Just don't get caught and make it my problem. <laughs> as long as your problems stay your problems and they don't become my problems, we'll be good. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it comes down to with Harry. He gets to that stage where you know, he's getting older, he's got his kids, he's got a pe- the peaceful life that he wanted, well, as peaceful as life can get with five kids, you know? Yeah, but I he's... think that's that's the chaos that Harry craves, though. Yeah. Because he always idolized the Weasleys in canon for their family and the chaos of family, and I think that he unintentionally created his own Weasleys in that aspect of he had the twins who were pranksters and all that. And he had the one boy as opposed to one girl. And he, he created his own form of the Weasleys in his own family almost. Mm. That's exactly it. Without the Pratt uh... Percy. (laughs) Or Ron. Yeah. No, we're not getting into that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he didn't have a Ron, he didn't have a Percy. 
Well, arguably, he didn't have a Bill Weasley, who's just an idiot as well. He's a very gifted wizard, but still yeah. a complete idiot. Yeah. To be fair, there's very few of the Weasleys that I actually do like on an individual kind of basis. Mm -hmm. I like the twins. Yeah. Well, the twins um, are great. You can't hate cool. on the twins. Yeah, Charlie's cool. But Charlie's cool in the aspect of we don't know Charlie at all. Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> I very think if open. we got more information on Charlie, it'd be kind of like... Could have done with a lot cool. less Ron Weasley. I told you <laughs> we're not getting into that. No, one one of my favorite things is though that in when the rose no it's um the whispers of a raise raven where I just took the opportunity to slag Charlie off because I could. Mm, uh, yeah. I made him that guy in that universe. I was just like, yeah, that will do nicely. <laughs> I, I think I, I think in story, whispers. I, somebody. I think in whispers the. Um, Silver's least favorite part was the fact that Harry liked Ron. <laughs> yeah, oh, it, it, it's kind of weird because I don't, don't get me wrong. I think Ron is a terrible friend for Harry, other than the fact that there is well a level of loyalty to him, but he's still very petty, very judgmental. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of crap going on there. Overall, my my overall summarization of Ron Weasley is he's a bastard, and that's that's really it. Thank he's just. Oh, he we have a nice guy, but he's a dick. We have an entire episode bashing, almost entire episode bashing Ron. Mostly just me. There's a I solid just... thirty minute section in one of our episodes of us just laying into Ron. We have talked about how Ron would die in each of the books if he were to die in each of the I books. I still maintain the best <laughs> the best point is book six in the first battle of Hogwarts. But Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Again. I like to see. Him, I would have liked to see him get carved by a troll in the first year. That would have. Thank started. you. <laughs> oh, that's we've completely forgot about the troll. Yeah, we we're did. We we're talking about that. I was yesterday. gonna say. I was gonna say Cerberus, but the troll's better. Yeah. yeah well, let's he... not let's not get Fluffy in trouble here. Yeah. <laughs> no, Fluffy's cool. Yeah. Ron's Fluffy not cool. cool. I would. I would. I would sooner have Fluffy sidekick than Ron as sidekick. That's a great. Yeah. That's a great graphic right there. <laughs> Uh, Harry kind of just going, can I keep Fluffy? And everyone uh, kind of just being so distracted that they go, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> and then and Harry just showing up at Privet Drive with Fluffy uh, kind of going, hey, Aunt Marge, you think your mind. dogs are cool? <laughs> Meet mine. And there's <laughs> fucking Fluffy in the backyard. <laughs> what, what, kind of, what kind of dog meat is that? Special one. That's what you've got to say. A big dog. It's a Sherman Shepherd. <laughs> it would be cool, though. As part of a crack fic, as part of a crack fic, instead of having Cerberus and Fluffy, they open the door and it's Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> <laughs> what year did Clifford come that would out? Be hilarious. Well, Just like introduce weird, random, like, animal characters throughout. So, yeah, mermaids are actually from the Little Mermaid. Yeah. <laughs> Clifford the Big Red Dog Cerberus. Um. Oh, there's dozens you could do. Oh, easily. Um the the horn tail is toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. Dragon. <laughs> yeah, that would work. Uh, you you could you could go so far. Um, yeah. the basilisk is an actual basilisk from real life. So <laughs> it's like Slytherin's monster, and it's just this tiny little lizard. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, what is this? <laughs> Wait. Harry walks up, picks it up. This? 
this is his greatest monster? And it's like trying to bite at him. He's like, <laughs> throws it against the like wall. Yeah. It has that like classic like cartoon thing where it's coming down the hallway, but like has a shadow that makes it look like it's the massive monster, and it's just a little tiny snake. It's just it's just laying there, just like <laughs> under a lamp. It's under a basking lamp. Yeah, it's laying there, not moving at all. Tom's like, "Go, kill, kill!" And Harry's like, uh, "You're gonna have to turn off the lamp, bud." <laughs> And even then, he's probably going to bite you for turning off the lamp. <laughs> this isn't going to work out in your favor. Uh, this is Slytherin's monster? God, Slytherin was more of a joke than I thought. Exactly. I sent someone uh, a crack fic that I had written. I, I wrote up like a thousand words, and I was like, I'm not going to finish this. I sent it to someone. Is this the Harry Potter um, in the happiest place on Earth? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think it was after I read Bruce's. I was like, man, that hit wizard. Yeah. That hit wizard. Because you were like, I want to do a hit wizard story. And I'm like, alright, are you going to do it like what what kind of form of hit wizards are you going to do? And he's like, TBR style. And I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. So I'm like, That's he's so like, it's going to be cool. a crack fic. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, what, what, he's like, uh, I'm gonna have him hunt down a, a character, a wizard hiding as a character in Disneyland. Oh, so that way, you just see this grown-ass man charging at Goofy, ready to <laughs> fucking deck him. Mickey Mouse. I was like, <laughs> oh, was I'm like, they always, I, I grew up, I didn't really watch Disney, and I always hear people like, it's the most magical place on Earth, and I'm like, how would the wizard folks deal with that? <laughs> it would just be like, an absolute joke to them. They're walking yeah. around and it's just like, what the hell is this place? <laughs> I think it's like some kind of like a, a memory from someone on the Janus Dickey ward or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was like, that's what I'm imagining. Harry chasing down Mickey Mouse. Uh, that would actually be quite, it's quite funny to kind of imagine. I've got a, a, a crack fig actually planned. I've got a few of them planned. And one of them is that Harry is. Um, completely unaware that he's a wizard, obviously. Mm. And instead of him becoming going to Hogwarts or anything like that, he just thinks he has this this power to like his wishes true. Uh, the opening scene of it is where he's asleep in his bed and Dudley comes down. He's like bouncing up and down on the stairs trying to wake him up. And Harry goes, "Oh God, I wish he'd fall on his fat ass and break his neck." And that actually happens. <laughs> oh like, no! <laughs> he's convinced that he's like got this power of wish. And it's not, it's just his magic, like, then Dudley just spends the story in a neck brace, fat as <laughs> sofa, and Harry just occasionally goes back to annoy him. <laughs> I, uh... The whole story is just revolved around Dudley getting his comeuppance for being, a, being an ass. There was Wonderful. a author who, I forget the name of the author, and I forget the, I just remember his story, he, he wrote a story for each year. And uh, he's like, book four, book five, he kills off the Dursleys, and Dudley's the only one that survives. And he's like, Harry goes to like talk to him, but Dudley just punches him in the face. And like, <laughs> and then Harry like walks out, and he's like, never mind, I won't talk to him. And I was like, yeah, that uh, that that fits, that fits that one. I I think I've not really read many good crack fix um there's no. been there's been a few 
but I think people tend to get carried away with them because mm -hmm. if you're gonna write a crack thing, you still want it to be mm -hmm. an engaging story yeah. where it does become ridiculous. Yeah, I think one of my because, my favorite like kind of crack fix was it's it's an older one and Harry discovers through the lessons with legitimacy. Fuck, I hate in the English <laughs> language sometimes. Um, that he can uh, it it opens his connection to Voldemort even more instead of lessening it, and that he can like suggest things to Voldemort because Voldemort's so batshit crazy that he thinks that it's his own ideas. So he just starts systematically killing off his followers slowly but surely, just nightly, trick, just going. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, so he's just like. Because I think it was Fenrir Greyback was the first one, and he was like, "Kill him and dump his body in in a river somewhere." And he and he was like, K and then Voldemort goes, "Yeah, okay, fuck it," <laughs> and kills him. <laughs> and then he he slowly throughout the entire story just kind of whittles down um, Voldemort's forces till the point where Voldemort's sitting in Malfoy Manor, completely alone, kind of going like, "Why did I do this?" And Harry's like in his mind going, You should you should kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite dark in a way though, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, no, he says you should go back in time and you should create a ritual that goes back in time and takes you and like strips away all of these powers and takes you to like and you should do it differently this time. You should do it more politically and knowing that Voldemort at the current time is dead because his soul, he's already been killed. And it's kind of cracky in that aspect of like, he, so he does this ritual with all the horror cruxes and he's like, I'm going to absorb them back into myself and go back in time. And I'm going to do it different this time. And he goes back and he just turns into a pile of mush. <laughs> and so Voldemort's done. Wow. Harry defeated him all without having to lift a finger. One of the, one of the best ones I ever read, and this is going back a while now. It, mm. it, it's just vanished off a website now. This was back in about 2018. It appeared, and I kind of caught it. it was posted. It was only about fifteen thousand words, and it was a crack fic of um, Harry was actually a stoner who liked smoking weed, <laughs> and convinced Voldemort to smoke a joint. Um, <laughs> Like I said, oh, have, have a bit of this. It will, you know, you'll calm down. You won't be feeling so crazy. And then eventually, Voldemort kind of gives in. He likes the idea of like being a bit more mellow, so he can like clear his thoughts. And when he when he smokes a joint, he ends up thinking, "What do I want to be a dark lord for? I just want to go and smoke weed all day." And he and joins a hippie coven in America and just lives in a, a VW camper van for the, like forever, just smoking weed. <laughs> really, really funny how it was written. It just went really well. It was just there's hilarious. there's another one where it's the great turkey shoot, and it's Harry asks Dobby to obtain claymores. <laughs> yeah, and they use the um the um jinx on Voldemort's name, and it's Harry and Hermione kind of sitting behind a sandbag bunker, just like running out into this middle of this kill zone, and going Voldemort. And then running back behind the bunker <laughs> with the detonator, the Snatchers and Death Eaters come in, and Harry, and they're just like, boom, and kills them, and then goes out, vanishes the bodies, cleans up the area, Voldemort, and just goes back, resets the Claymores, goes Voldemort, and then just runs back behind and just 
systematically <laughs> one by one kills <laughs> kills all of Voldemort's followers with some stolen claymores. It's so dumb, but it makes me laugh every time. I like there's one where it's uh Vermin just gives Harry a shotgun. <laughs> you told me about this one. I'm like, where where the heck do you get a shotgun from? <laughs> you can get shotguns in Europe. No, they're, they're legal here. There are some firearms you like to have as long as you've got a mm. license. So you can have shotguns, um, you can have rifles and things like that. You're just not allowed to have anything that's uh, automatic. So right. you're automatic weapons. But, and you're not allowed, to, and they have to have a certain um, barrel length on them. So you can't have a sawn off shotgun. Right. You'll, uh, yeah, I can't you'll get yourself in trouble with that. Yeah. But it's, it's quite funny because, you know, we can't no, have here you can have a sawed off shotgun if you pay the government. Yeah. Because remember, anything's legal if you give the government, government enough money. That's true. But here, we're, we're allowed to have swords and everything. So I've got a really big collection of swords and weaponry and stuff like that. And I can guarantee I could go and do a lot more damage with that mm. than I could with a pistol or, or a gun that I'd have to reload every, you know, <laughs> 15 or 20 rounds or whatever. You give you, you let me take one of my swords out. I could hack, hack around 50 or 60 people before the police even arrived. Well, and especially in the UK, because you, you, they'd have to wait for the armed police to show up. Our armed police here are pretty sharp now. Oh, that's, okay. that's good to hear. I actually... They're um, kind of everywhere. Mm. You go to London, anywhere in London you go to, train stations, airports, everything, the armed police are just there. And these guys do not fuck around. Like, if mm. they think, like, they think you're gonna... Like, there's stories about people, like, jumping ticket barriers, and they think they're terrorists, and they just shot them. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's jumping a ticket barrier, think he's gonna get a free ride, bang! I don't think so. I was so, gonna go to London this year, Jeez. <laughs> Yeah. Don't jump ticket London, barriers. Uh, London is a shithole. I lived yeah. there for quite a few years when I was at university. It's just a an awful place. You go to the touristy places and it's like, mm. oh, you know, you've got the you've got London dungeons, you've got Big Ben, you've got Houses of Parliament and all that right. kind of stuff. You come away from there and it's every single district of London that's outside of southwest London, mm. which is where you've got like Chelsea and all the really pop are all shitholes. All the houses are horrible. They're expensive. When they assholes, it's it's just a horrible place to live. Genuinely, mm. I would I would not live there, even if I was a multi billionaire. The last place I would live would be London. Yeah, my uh, my school offered a uh, travel seminar every year. So this year it's Italy and London again, and uh, would have toured like the uh, the theaters and uh, gone to a bunch of live shows and everything, which is what I like to do. I like theater. Um, I'm I'm quite a big fan of theatre. Yeah, one thing I, I do like. So, living in London like was great because there's a thing you can do. You get to Leicester Square at around thirty six o'clock in the morning. Mm. They have um, really heavily reduced tickets. Mm. You can get get like front row seats to to like theatre shows at like two hundred odd pounds for like a tenner, like ten pounds. It's mm. crazy. Like that's one of the things I did like doing. But yeah, it's not worth living in London just for that one. That one benefit, yeah. Room. I had a. Uh, uh, what were you gonna say, Bailey? Oh, I, I have the same feelings about Seattle. <laughs> Fuck, big cities, man. They just, they just suck. I just hate my state. I know you hate your state, but you live in New Jersey, so. Yeah. <laughs> just dirty. Been to New Jersey. I've been to. I've been to Missouri. I've been to New York. I've been to a few places in America, mm. and. It's it's really strange because I don't like make general making general generalizations Gen- about like an entire you know yeah, entire no, yeah. country, but 
everywhere I went, it was kind of like the same thing. Everybody, mm-hmm. like, there were so many people just overweight. They were very stupid. They were very rude. And it's kind of like, yeah, you, know, you get that. Five different places, and you get that. And it's like, New York is worse. Oh, New York's terrible. Just... I, I live oh, an hour, I, I live an hour, hour and a half away outside the city. It's terrible. I hate going. Yeah. It, it's, it's a hellhole. But London's the same. Mm. But to London, it's just. Uh, like most people in the UK, if you if you live outside of London, mm. you consider London basically a country all of its own because nowhere else in the UK is like London. Mm-hmm. Even like the bigger cities like Manchester and Birmingham, they're all different to to London. I don't like any of the big cities and the big mm. cities in, in the UK because it's just full of dicks. And I live out <laughs> in the countryside. I live yeah. Where I live is just very quiet. It's very peaceful, and you know people here are very polite. You get people who will just stop you and just have conversation just because they like talking to people because they're all just really friendly, you know. But you come you come away from the countryside in England and it's it's just yeah, assholes everywhere. You go to the big cities and it's just horrible. Not not nice places to be at all. I would never live in a big city. I like living in the countryside. So yeah, and you kind of I suppose you see that in 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 pretty much all the stories, all right? Because Harry ends up living in the countryside. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't live like. He doesn't live in Grimmauld Place. He doesn't live in London. He, he always lives in, you know, Godric's Hollow, or he's got like a country house in Scotland, or yeah. you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that that that's very much my own kind of input because I cannot write a character into writing and into living in a big city. Mm. It's just. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about Roses is when you had them going through all these houses and. They only went to the one. Well, yeah, they only went, well. There's some. Harry had his own place and everything, um, but I do like the fact that you don't have Harry in London. You don't have him in Grimwald, uh, stuff like well, that. In Roses Grimwald was kind of occupied. But, yeah, <laughs> my whole point, like in all the stories, I I don't like everyone does it, and it's like seeing how you did it, Lee, which is great because it also gave me a great image of what like that area was like. Uh, I would rather be on yeah. the countryside than anywhere near a city. Oh, and and that, that's exactly it. It's it's um one of the things that I think Harry would like. He'd like it like somewhere peaceful to live after. Mm-hmm. You don't want to walk out of his front door and he's just inundated with people. He'd like to be able to just do that kind of thing on his terms. If he has to go to a diagonal alley or anywhere like that, you know does it on his own terms he can prepare mm-hmm. well i mean and depending on you know where he lives he, he walks he, he moves back home to britain after being in a literal war zone walks out his front door and surprise i'm in a fucking war zone again how the <laughs> hell did this happen exactly um... so i i I mean, and that's another thing too. Like, the I love how you did the end with it, with that whole. Oh, the ending. Yeah. We we do need to talk about the ending because the ending. I, it's. It's, it's an ending. It's it's a tearjerker. <laughs> it's a tearjerker for you. Um, yeah. I was like, well, that's bittersweet. And that's what the whole aim of it was supposed to be. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was happy in a way, but also like it also kind of brought together the reality of everything. 
you know, everything that Harry endured from the very start all the way through to the end, you know, where the ritual kind of came along. And Harry thought that Nicholas had done it on purpose, you know, mm-hmm. by using using his blood as yeah. parts of a, you know, and it kind of gave him and Minerva like a, a, a longer life and even the kids a longer life, even though they ended up outliving their children and whatnot. It all kind of culminated in the end with everything meaning something. You know, yeah. every you know, he won the war, he had his family, he had the life he wanted to, but at the same time, because of everything else that had happened to him before, he was still going to get the effects of that along with the good stuff. So you say it all all came come comes to fruition with, you know, when the roses bloom again, you know, stems from that final part of, you know, road that's let's just hope we're dead before they come back mm-hmm. you know and that's essentially what it comes out and it's kind of open-ended as well because you don't know if they actually did die or how long yeah. they ended up living you know and that's what i wanted i wanted there to be that kind of ambiguity about that how long they kind of you know went Stay, on and yeah. went from, you know there's always that question there and it is bittersweet but i think that's the perfect ending for the story is it was essentially it, it, i i don't think I, a happily if, if ever... i would try to make <clears throat> I don't think a happily ever after would have worked in that kind of Harry dies at a ripe old age of 230 surrounded by his children and happy, happy, happy. Like he doesn't outlive everyone. He's not the last of the, of his generation by a lot. Like burying your great grandkids is not something people really imagine doing in their life. No, and and that's kind of what I wanted to catch with all of it. You know that every single action had a consequence. Everything that happened, you know, there was good parts and bad parts to it. There was good parts of the war. There was bad parts of the war. There was good parts about him being rid of the Horcrux and Voldemort and everything. You know, all kind of culminated into this end bit that captured the entire mood of the story, which was, war is not a good thing. Heroes emerged, and you know, Harry became what he did out of necessity, and he you know this highly thought of person uh, to get to that point he had to suffer and that's and the end of it was it was kind of like flip was kind of flipped where he had all the good things then because he had all those good things there was still, still that suffering that he still had to do it was kind of like everything had a price everything had the good points everything had the bad points and that was kind of like the thing for the entire story you know it's not that everything was going to be straightforward. People were going mm-hmm. to die, and a war was going to happen. And but there's always going to be that joy to be found in the misery, and that's what happened at the end. You know, Harry and Minerva were still together. He wasn't alone, but together they'd had to endure the misery of burying their children, and and so on and so on. But at the end, they still had each other, yeah. and that's essentially where the story started. You know, Harry walking in on Minerva doing her thing, <laughs> and. It all kind of just grew from there. They went through everything together. Like Minerva was at home, but Harry was, you know, she was kind of enduring everything, knowing what Harry was enduring on the continent. And then when yeah. they came back and they, you know, they built a family, they they shared that joy together. And at the end, they had to share the heart. Still, though, they were there together. And it, that's all I could have really asked for for that whole story was that, you know, everything that happened still led to them being together despite all the good times the bad times the ups and the downs and you know the heartache and, and the joy of life essentially right i think i i think it 
it it was the perfect ending to this story where whereas with um stepping back harry outlived everyone as well i believe not stepping back um honor thy blood harry outlived everyone and yeah and that was a very again a very bittersweet ending where he outlived everybody he out, out, outlived his wife but at the very end you know even though he'd suffered for you know a good and a half without with her the very end when it was time to pass on it was her who came to get him yeah and i i think that was that was very it was very um he started where he he ended he, where he yeah. started he started off alone in the world and he goes through life and he gains everything that he wanted only to lose most of it by the end and he becomes a hermit like arcturus and he's living in the house where he where it all started and all that and he's kind of just going through the motions of being alive at that point and he's been doing it for so long but he's but harry has too much pride to just go i can't deal with this anymore and just end it early he's he's got too much pride he's not going to go out that way and I think I, I really respect those stories because um, a completely different fandom and style of story is uh, of Water and Salt by Stellaris, the uh, PJO um, Marvel story, where Percy, that you find this all out in like the first chapter, so there's very little spoilers for this. Percy is all alone. He survived the war. The war was vastly changed. The Giomancy was vastly changed. And Harry is the lone survivor. We lost Lee. Oh, we lost Lee. <laughs> Trey, you brought up Percy Jackson. Well, I was comparing <laughs> it to the story. I, um... It had a point. Well, we're I had technically going to have to be edited out. We're at two hours, by the way. Yeah, we're going to be ending yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> right, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. Apologies, my, my laptop just started to disconnect from the internet entirely. It's completely shut itself down as we speak. Oh, so you're good. On my... but we're all good. I'm on my phone. Can you still hear me clearly? Yeah, yeah we're yeah. Uh, we're at two hours, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. But um, if you guys want to start recording now, uh, for uh, thirty nine. Oh, I'm so yeah. I'm I'm good. I'm okay. Cool. So, uh, but Percy in that aspect is just too skilled and too stubborn to die. Um, but yeah, I, I really appreciate those kind of characters. But we've rambled on for two hours now, so I we very much enjoyed having you yeah. on, Lee. No, no, it honestly, was... it's, it's been, been a, a nice experience. It's been nice for me to take a break from writing and, you know, just, just talk about things again for a while because it, mm. it's, it has been, you know... It's been a while since I've been able to just kind of sit down and kind of talk about the things I've done and what I'm doing, where I'm going, and, you know, especially where the roses bloom again, because um, I never really got the opportunity to do a kind of, uh, even with anybody, a uh, full podcast on that, because there is a lot of aspects to that story that I don't think, like a lot of nuances as well, that people may not have picked up. And, you know, it, it was just uh, as a thing, it was a very big project. And, you know, I have two notebooks of 320 work pages each that are full Jeez. of just my planning and 
chapter plan, like chapter by chapter breakdown and, mm. you know, character interactions, everything, you know, everything to pull out stories in those notebooks. And, you know, just piecing that all together was, you know, was longer than what some stories take to write. So it's, you know, it's been nice to be able to kind of come on, talk to you guys about it, you know, kind of answer the question and just kind of relive some of it because I've not read it in full. So I've never gone back, I've not gone back and read any of my stories in full since stepping back. So I write them, I publish them, and then I leave them. I've, I've not read any of them for, you know, a good number of years now. Maybe I should at some point, but again, it's it's a big investment of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, and I think it's great. And we, we barely scratched the surface of stepping back. We, we barely touched even the war. We talked about it a little bit. We talked, it was mostly the beginning and the end that we talked about. There's the entire middle, middle section, yeah. which is huge. <laughs> 50 chapters of this war. And that's exactly it. There's, there's a lot to it. You know, you, it, it's one of those things where you could just about sit down all day and try to unpick and, and you know, try to digest and, and discuss. And it, There's just so many different aspects to the story itself. Yeah. You know, it's not well, just... It's, yeah, it's it almost three different stories. Monthly. Yeah, exactly. It's, a lot it's three different, different books. Stories. Pretty much because you've got the first section, the first book of Harry settling himself in into the new world, creating friends, start like the start of his relationship with Minerva and Charles and all that and into his hit wizarding time. And then you go into the war where Harry's in the trenches fighting this war, still being the serpent occasionally and then morphing into um commander-in-chief evans and then the end of the war with his final battle with grindelwald into the peaceful time the peaceful transit time of him going back to britain really head diving headfirst into his family with minerva and everyone else else and then the bat and then his war with voldemort and then the and the ending so it's really yeah. three entirely sep not entirely but interconnected stories of this one character in a very large very nice um package very yeah. nice package of you can you can set i mean i think i calculated it out the uh so far the audiobook is at like 50 hours of content and yeah he's a little over halfway yeah it's, it's crazy it's crazy it, it's, like yeah where where it's kind of come to you know i finished writing it God. well since i since i finished that i i wrote written the stars i'm now a good however many chapters into uh, the reaver's legacy you know it's been a while since i finished it but it's still kind of transcending it's still going on i'm still kind of getting messages and dms mm. and the audio book is still ongoing and, and whatnot it's you know, it was my biggest project by a long shot. Like, On All Our Bloods, I wrote that in, I think it took around five months to write it from beginning to end. And same as stepping back, I, I think it took me a bit longer because I was working full time when I was writing that. So it took a little bit longer. 
But even so, I was writing full time, close to around 70 to 80 hours a week on When the Roses Bloom Again. And it took a year. You know, that's a long time. Uh, it's a lot. It's a very big piece of writing. and It's a very long, long time to invest into it. You know, if anything, like now, if I was to say suddenly drop dead, then When the Roses Bloom Again pretty much accumulates to being my legacy in, in the writing world. And there's worse legacies to have. Mm-hmm. That's true. And there are some stories that, you know, that that do kind of go on for that that kind of length. And then they just lose a lot of substance on the, on the way through. Like, um, what's, what's the one with Harry and Bellatrix where they go back in time? Oh, which one was it? Oh, that's... Uh... Look, I got it right here. Bellatrix. Stepping back. No, 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 that's no. No, I'm guessing it's not his own work. Um, I'm not no. 100% familiar with that one, but I, I, I understand that a lot of stories when they start to stretch out over the uh, the year spans, they can they can really start to drag out because the author and you can really see it with authors that lose motivation in the story of. Mm. I just need to fucking finish this. And so you have this super long epic. It's it's the joking picture of the horse where it progressively gets worse as it goes on, where you've got the back half, which is immaculately drawn, and it starts kind of fading off, and then it looks like a three-year-old finished it. Yeah, and, that's exactly and it. You, and you can, and I, and everyone has seen that in fan fictions, even fan fictions that are like, 25 chapters long Mm. where you can tell that the author has kind of just stopped giving a fuck about the story and they've lost all motivation in the story in the source material i've seen authors who were writing harry potter fix switch entire fandoms and in in the middle of one of their stories and then the their harry potter fic either you got one of two options you've got abandoned or it's or mm. it's rushed to the end and you're like you started off really strong here bud and you completely missed the goal at the end that's exactly it and there's a lot of stories that does that you know you, you see some stories on there that are 1.3 billion words and it's kind of like okay but how wisely are those words used and it's and, um, unfortunately yeah. it does it does become quite a common thing where somebody will get past the halfway mark of the story where they got really excited where they you know really wanted to write up to that point mm-hmm. but didn't really have much of a plan afterwards and then you, you can kind of see that i don't i don't like slating other writers at all that's not what i'm about no but it, it's noticeable when you see someone's lost passion for what they're working on or i i we've we've interviewed our fair share of authors and a lot of them have a point they have plot points that they want to hit and i think if you don't have your plot points all the way to the end and it's it's the thing of rowling wrote the epilogue right after she finished the first book kind of thing and it's like you don't have to do that but you have to know how the story ends because worst case scenario absolutely on your deathbed you can just go i'm publishing my notes so they can finish the story in their head exactly 
And I think I think a part of it as well is it's not just having plot points that you want to write. Um, of course, that's very important. You're gonna you're gonna have your list of uh, events and the things you want to achieve with the story. But at the same time, you have to be able to write the as as they call it filler stuff and make it engaging. Yeah. So you have to practice uh, you have to practice writing what some people would consider to be mundane. But it also it has to still add substance to the story, and be equally engaging, because if you don't, then again, not just as a writer, but as a reader, you kind of lose your way with the story, and that's the last thing you want. I think with with Honor Thy Bloods, I had a lot of kind of just waffling, you know, a lot of it was quite, quite rambly. I could have cut so much of the story out, and it was I would not have lost a, a single thing out of it. I've kind of, it's one of the things I've worked on as I've, as I've written more and more stories is getting to the point, you know, not wasting words on things that are not necessary. Well, mm-hmm. I think if that's the major you, difference between fan fiction and like the Harry Potter fan fiction versus the Harry Potter books is we, as a fan fiction reader, I don't need to read about Harry going to history of magic for three pages and where him and Ron talk about Quidditch the entire mm-hmm. time. I don't need no, to read exactly. that. That's not important to the story. Now, if you just it tell me implied. that yeah. Harry and co. went to class that day, that's a fucking sentence, and that conveys everything that I need to know. Yeah, unless that, unless that specific lesson that they go to is providing something towards the plot or towards, you know, and yeah. a, a key part of the story, then it's unnecessary. Again, as you said, a sentence will suffice. Oh, having attended, you know, ancient rules class this morning, this happened, this happened, this happened. Now Harry was here, and you go, you, you're using those things to lead to a point where, with with the substance, you know, yeah. it's it, it's it's an important thing to do, especially in fan fiction, because people are going to make assumptions anyway, unless you said to the contrary. People are going to immediately just assume certain things are still the same. Unless you oh. yourself mention that they're not, that they've changed. And mm. I really respect what you have said on the matter of, like, if I don't directly change it, it's canon. Yeah. So, like, and everything of, up until book five in, in Roses is canon. There is nothing yeah. different. You could straight up go from... Book, you could start reading book one all the way up to book five, go right into Roses, and the story is the same. Like from that point forward. Exactly. It's when you put pen to paper or keyboard to screen that the story changes. And I've, I've taken that in my personal aspect of that is perfect because you don't need to go – and start at year one if your story is not going to change if you plan your story at year five to start there's absolutely no reason to start at year one if you don't plan on changing any of the events no and that and that's exactly it it's i i like to be able to do that i like to be able to because it's most of my stories are not year one stories you know they pick they tend to pick up you know fourth year fifth year or something along those lines. I, I like people to know and assume that everything leading up to that point is canon. And, and it, is a, it is a case of 
unless I specify otherwise. And if I do specify otherwise, I will clearly and logically point that out, what those difference is throughout the story when it is relevant to do so. I think a lot of people make that mistake and a lot of authors make the mistake of trying to write uh, Harry Potter fan fiction as J.K. Rowling wrote the stories by including the the kind of like, oh, they went to History of Magic and then did this, then you get, like you say, three pages of description and it's not necessary. When you're writing fan fiction, it should be a case of assumption, you know, assume unless you're told otherwise. Mm. And this should be down to the author, like for the author to have to kind of say, you know, oh, this is completely canon up until this point. It should just be assumed, but there's just people, people just don't have that kind of, um, that kind of approach to it. They just assume they're getting a whole new story. Um, everything's going to be explained. And then you see it and if you go into any story um, on fanfiction.net, you look in the comments, oh, but what happened to this person? Or is, is, did this still happen before this story started? And it's kind of like, well, you know, it, it, Unless, you shouldn't even find yourself in a situation plot holes to answer that. that you can just eliminate the better. And yeah, I'm personally exactly writing a, a video game fan fiction combined with Game of Thrones. So the but there is a storyline to the video game. And I've given I've given enough clues that to indicate that I have changed it and I probably should add a little bit more context to the background of it because the game the this it has changed. The world has changed due to this character being there. And so it's kind of one of those things of if you keep your canon consistent and these are the rules, don't break them. I think it just makes so much more sense because the less questions that you have as a reader, you want to read through a story and go, that was clean, concise, and I have very little questions at the end. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like if your That's biggest exactly question you, you at want- the end of when the roses bloom again is when does Theseus die? I think you're doing a pretty good, pretty good job. And did he get another owl afterwards? And the answer is probably, probably a little bit after Harry was born and before Rosa, after when Harry, when the kids were adults. And yes, he probably did get another owl. But it's like if you could just, if you have to nitpick to find problems, I think you did a good job. Yeah. And that's what that's one of the things I look for when I when I'm coming up to finishing a story. I, I want to I want the story to finish. I don't you know I like that to say things you know I really enjoyed that and think about the things I really enjoyed. I don't want to sit there with a dozen questions of but what happened to this and what happened to that and you know it'd be the same thing as if if a movie just suddenly cut off three quarters of the way through and you you just didn't get the answers. If that is it's kind of that level, but see on an even bigger scale because you've invested a lot of time into reading that story. And when yeah. you've got all those questions that are left unanswered, it's very frustrating. And then you'll find that you're not as fond of that story as you thought you were. No, and and even there's also the aspect of maturing through stories, because one of my favorite fan fictions of all time, or what I thought was, was I, I went back and reread it this past year, and I realized the pacing was absolute dog shit. <laughs> and the story just made <laughs> yeah. no sense when you actually applied pacing to it. And when you realize the entire events of the story happened between September and December, and you're like, 
Oh fuck! This story starts September first and ends at Christmas. Of one of that time period, just that time period, and I'm like, oh, this makes no sense. But yeah. as much as we would, I would love to continue this on. We are very much past our time mark, and uh, no, it's absolutely fine. I understand. You know, it's me. It's, <laughs> like I said, it's, it's been it's been great talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah. gonna get Yeah, if you ever want to come back on, shoot us a message. We'd love yeah. to have you back. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd I'd be more than happy to come on again with you guys. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, everyone, and thanks you can for my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, everyone, thanks for listening to the Writer's Workroom podcast mm-hmm. with our one of our favorite authors, um, the Black Surgeons. If you listen to this entire episode and you have not let, read a single one of his stories, including When the Roses Bloom Again, first off, I've told you to do so in the past, so go do we it. Have. And second off, go read them. Go enjoy them. We 100% recommend um, When the Roses Bloom Again, Stepping Back, Honor Thy Blood, Whispers of a Raven, The Green and the Gray, <clears throat> and A Flower for the Soul. Those are the complete ones on ff.net. There are more on his website. You can join his Discord to get access to those and also be potentially called a cunt on Discord by Lee himself. <laughs> it's, quite <possible>. so, <laughs> it's quite possible. I've gotten it multiple times and I, I, I proudly carry that badge. Um, and so um, that's it for the Writer's Workroom Podcast. Thank you yeah. for listening. Thank you, guys.